You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.vin. Welcome. Um, Can I introduce Dave to everyone? Hello. Say good morning, Dave. That was a nice welcome. Lovely. Can I pray for you? Yeah, please do. Let's just pray for Dave. Father God, would you come? Would you speak through Dave by your spirit? Holy Spirit, would you anoint him to speak to us this morning? Would you help us to open our hearts and our minds to hear from you today, Lord, through what Dave brings? I pray that you would rest upon him, Holy Spirit, that you come now, fill him. In Jesus' name, and for your glory, God, in this place and online too. Amen. 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 Thanks, Tor. Well, morning, everyone. So, so good to be with you today, and also morning to all of uh, our sites who are joining us this morning. We've got Ellen and Peterhead, as well as our online community. Let's do a massive hands as high as you can get them, a wave so they can see it. There we go. Hope you feel welcome, guys. Um, Just a little heads up uh, as we go into this morning, in case there are any little ears listening uh, across our sites or online. We're going to be talking about some adult themes today. I'm not talking pensions and mortgages, uh, the other kind of adult theme. So it's just to kind of keep you in the loop. That's where we're going today. Buckle up, we'll be okay. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in our series, uh, continuing our series, Future Focus in First Thessalonians, and we're going to be in chapter 4, verses 1 to 8 today. And really, in the verses that we're reading today, Paul is writing to the church in Thessaloniki to encourage them in their faith, and the heart of what he's saying in these verses today is, if you want to please God, be holy. That's kind of like what he's saying, a quick summary. And being holy means to be set apart, to be different from those around you who aren't following Jesus. Now, I want to ask, does anyone have different levels of dinner plates? Do you know what I mean? Do you have like your spares? Yep, we've got some hands here. Your spares, your your kind of like daily use ones, and then it's like the top tier, the special ones. So when I was a kid in our house, Rennie Macintosh plates. They were the top tier. I think, I think he had a bit, oh, some support there. He had, some, he had a bit of a resurgence in the 90s. And so anytime we saw the Rennie Macintosh plates on the table, it was like, ooh, someone's coming for dinner. This is a big deal. And those plates were like lovingly wrapped up and put away in boxes and stuff. They were set apart from all the other plates. They were different. And so Paul is saying to the church in Thessaloniki, if we want to be holy, if we want to be set apart for a different use, we have to be a bit like the plates, kind of set apart in that way. And we're quickly going to see that Paul is encouraging the church to be different in their relationship to to sex. To sex is what I said. To sex. Okay. So the Thessalonians... They live in this culture, right, where so much of it is about pleasure, it's about self-indulgence, and sexual immorality would have just been ingrained in the fabric of their society. It would have been totally acceptable for a married man to have his wife and a mistress and multiple concubines as well. Like, that was just the norm. Sex was part of their religious practices and rituals. Prostitution was a key part of their economy. It was everywhere. And so we have these people, this church living in this highly sexualized society where personal gratification is king. Like, I don't care who gets hurt along the way as long as I get pleasure. That's what matters. So a society that's obsessed with sex. 
And so Paul, in these verses, he's going to talk about how, as Christians, we are called to live differently in this area. We're called to live in a way that pleases God. We're called to be holy. So chapter 4, starting at verse 1, let's read together. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, incidentally, I love that he's about to talk about sex and change gear, and he goes, as for other matters, I quite like that. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that means to become holy that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Why don't we just pray? Lord, we thank you for your words, God. And Lord, we thank you that it can act as a mirror for us to, to the things in our lives that are, that are good, that are of you, and the things that aren't and that need to go. And Lord, we, we pray this morning that as we look at this stuff, God, that you would just be stirring up in us the things that are good, the things that you love, and the things that you're saying, it's time for that to go. God, would you give us open hearts, open minds, open lives today, just to put it all on the table and say, God, whatever you want to do, I'm up for it. We love you, Lord. We ask that you would move in this room and that you would already just be start bringing freedom to people wherever we're at right now. Amen. So, in these verses, what we can see is Paul tackling head-on the culture around the Thessalonian church, taking aim at the sexual immorality. And that term, sexual immorality, is from the Greek word porneia, which is where we would get porn or pornography. Oh, gosh, I stuttered over that a little bit. Pornography. That's where we get that word from. And it's, it's, this, porn, this word porneia is almost like an umbrella term that basically just means like any and all sexual, sexual immorality. And so really what he's talking about here is anything outside of what God has ordained in his word. So namely the best context for sex or the only context for sex is within marriage. And anything outside of that is not God's heart or his best for us. So affairs, lust, fantasy, porn, sex before marriage. These are just some of the things that Paul is talking about. And the culture that Paul is speaking to is really similar to where we find ourselves today. Namely, if you're not living for your own pleasure, why not? Why not? Like everyone else is. That's the norm. So this is where the church in Thessaloniki would have felt this pressure to compromise in this area with all the temptation around them. This lifestyle is actually one that many of them would have walked away from when they became Christians. And so there's this pressure for them to come back into that. And into that reality, God's will is for us to be sanctified and made holy. So we are talking about sex today, but this idea of being holy isn't just in the area of sex. Although that's a big piece of the puzzle and it's important, but it's our whole lives that are called to holiness, to live pure lives in what we do 
in what we say, in what we think. We're called to be like Jesus. Anyone feeling the weight of that? Do you know what? There's, there's verses in the Bible where Jesus says things, says things like, therefore be perfect as I am perfect. And I'm like, I am not perfect in any of those things, Jesus, in what I think and I say and I do. Like, how am I supposed to walk in that? How am I supposed to be holy? How am I supposed to be sanctified in the way that you are, Jesus? And actually, I think the answer, to, to answer that, we need to understand what does it actually mean to be sanctified? When we talk about this, what does it mean? Because I think often we have bits and pieces of the story, but we haven't got the whole picture. And we need the whole picture because when we misunderstand understand this, we get lost, confused, discouraged, and that's where the enemy wants us to stay. So my hope is this morning, as we're looking at this idea of sanctification, becoming holy, that we're going to see the complete picture of it and actually see that there's a beginning, a middle, and an end to this story. And that's going to help us in this whole wrestle of being holy. So how can we be holy? Firstly, we've already been made holy. Well, that's good news, isn't it? Job done. So a few weeks ago, Hazel and I were in Falkirk. We were driving around. We were um, going for a meal. Couldn't find anywhere to park. Don't really know the area. We eventually find this multi-story car park that's like 30-second walk from where we're eating, which is brilliant. Park up, have the meal. It's all good. A few weeks later, we get a letter in the post. This letter here, to be exact. And it's, you know, Dear Mr. Hall... On the uh, 9th of July in Falkirk in the city center, your vehicle registration, Sierra, November 6th. Um, oh, it's a parking fine, guys. It's a parking fine. Can anyone near the front maybe tell me how much we're looking at here? Anyone shout out? A hundred. Oh, you, whisper, you whispered it because you were afraid. A hundred pounds. A hundred quid parking fine. That's, that's the biggest parking fine I've ever got. I was so gutted. And so I ring Hazel, and I'm like, yeah, yes, it's 100 pounds, it's a fine. And she was just like, no, it said free parking. I'm like, no, we must have made a mistake, you know, never mind. She's like, no, it said free parking. Goes on the website, sure enough, all day Sunday, free parking. And it's like, what is this about? So I was just like, there is no way. So we send an email back to them, just like, dear sir slash madam, you know, not a chance, basically, like, we're not doing this. They send us another letter with the same fine, just like, no, we're not paying it. And there's, like, this injustice thing, like, rises up in you in those moments, like, that's not fair. That's not, we've not done anything wrong. There is no way you're getting 100 quid from me. Why? Because you don't have to pay what you don't owe. You don't have to pay what you don't owe. You know, when we give our lives to Jesus, we confess our sins and accept his forgiveness. He wipes that sin away. That debt is cleared. We're justified. We're made righteous before God. And in that moment, we're also sanctified. We're also made holy because of his sacrifice. 1 Corinthians six eleven says this. And in that moment, when we come to know Jesus, you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And so this process of being made holy of being like Jesus in our thoughts, words, and actions, it starts when we come to faith. We're set apart, and in that moment, there's a switch. Paul talks about us no longer being slaves to sin, like sin is no longer our master, but instead, it changes, and Jesus becomes our master. And so there's a switch from maybe where we previously tolerated sin, or maybe even loved sin in our life. We didn't see anything wrong with it. No, that's a good thing. There's a switch when we come to know Jesus. Romans 6 
11. It talks about our desire being turned away from it. It says this in Romans, count yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, for sin will have no dominion over you. This is good news. You know, if you are a Christian today, a moral shift away from sin has taken place. And this is a basic truth where the enemy wants to trip us up. He wants us to get confused on this. You know, one of his names is the accuser. And it's like he wants to say to us, you're not really holy. You've messed up. You've done stuff wrong. It's almost like him dropping a fine like this on our doorstep and being like, well, August 1st, 2.37 p.m., you had a lustful thought, 4.02, you lied to your mom, same day, not good. August 2nd, you didn't pray or read your Bible. You know, he's right there, isn't he, to remind us of our shortcomings. And what the enemy would love is for us to believe that we are under the thumb of sin, that we are under its dominion. And we'll never be free. We'll never make up for what we've done wrong. But we don't have to pay what we don't owe. Because of Jesus, when we bring our sin to him, it's like he wipes the slate clean. We are declared holy. And the enemy is powerless to change that. And so what he wants to do is make us believe that we are powerless against sin. So against what the enemy would say about us, we have to hear that God says, no, I have made you holy. It doesn't mean that we're completely free from sin, and we're going to talk about the tension of that in the next point. We're not completely free from it in every sense. It still has influence. But at the same time, we've been sanctified by him. We're free from sin's rule, and we should never say, I'm completely defeated by that sin. Has anyone ever had this thought in your head where you just think, like, I give up? And it might be, I'm always going to have a bad temper, or I'm never going to get free from watching porn, or I don't think I'll ever get through a week without lying and hiding the truth from someone in some way, or I'm always going to struggle with my pride and how others view me, or there's something broken in me that God can't fix. You know, you can insert your own sin and your own struggle into that, but probably for the majority of us, we have moments like that. We can have those thoughts, but we have to accept what God says about us. He has made us holy, and as part of that, there has been a break from sin and where our desires are reorientated away from love of sin to love of Jesus. We mess up, we're forgiven, and he says, you've been sanctified, you've been made holy, now receive it. We just receive it. We're passive recipients of his holiness, and I really believe there are some people here today that do not believe that. When I say that Jesus says, you are holy, something internal just goes, no, not me. And that is not true. That is a lie from the enemy. You might be getting a little bit jumpy saying, I hear this. I hear what you're saying. You know, we can't let sin rule over us. Jesus made us holy. But I struggle with sin. Like, you don't understand. Like, not a bit. I, like, I, I really struggle with it. And there's sins that it's almost like this cycle that I just keep coming back to again and again and again. And I can't get free of it. There is a tension here. Because we've been made holy. That's true. But at the same point, and this is our next point that we're going to go on to, we're also being made holy. Have you ever heard the expression, let go and let God? Does that sound familiar? Just let go and let God. Like, that's, 
not an unhelpful thing to say because there's moments when we need to surrender stuff to God and like literally we have to like let go of the things that we're holding on to too tightly and let God come and do stuff. Let go and let God. It's helpful. There's truth in it. But it, that's not a summary of the whole of the Christian life. That's not everything that we need to do. I always just let go and let God and kind of go about my day. Because if that's our posture, we'll start to get passive and we'll start to get discouraged because we'll pray and we'll ask God, oh God, can you deal with this sin in my life? Can you take this thing away from me? And yet we find that we're still struggling. What's going on? Why am I not free from this? As well as being passive recipients of his holiness. The next part of the story is that holiness is also progressive, that we have to be active in pursuing it. We're being made even more holy. Um, I was so fortunate this summer. I got to go on sabbatical, um, eight weeks, um, basically just a time to, to rest uh, from work and just reconnect with the Lord, and it was beautiful. So as part of it, I got to go uh, to the States to visit a friend out there. Um, we had an amazing time just getting to do different sightseeing and um, have loads of fun, visiting some churches and youth ministries as well. And I was going to be away for 17 days, which was the longest time I'd ever been away from my kids, right? And our oldest, Judah, he's five years old, and I just felt like oh, 17 days is a long time. His behavior is just going to like absolutely tank like as soon as I'm gone. Like, what can we do? He really loves Mario, and so I thought maybe there's something Mario-related that I could get him that would, that would help. And so what I decided to do was... I bought this like fake Lego kind of Mario set. And so you build this like big Mario. It's, oh man, it's like like a quarter of the size of normal Lego and like a million times more fiddly. So I regret it immediately, but I did it. I built this big Mario thing and then I split it up into 17 different sections and then hid it around the house. And then the idea is every day, Judah would have a video from me to watch being like, hey, here's the next piece, go and find it kind of thing. Greatest dad in the world, right? Yeah. Hazel's got lots of evidence to the contrary that I'm not the greatest dad in the world. So, you know, a bit of balance. You'll find that's not true. But the idea is when Mario is finished, dad is coming home. That's the plan. So bit by bit, day by day, Judah built him up into this. Look at that. That's pretty good, isn't it? Pretty good. Yeah. Are we applauding me or Judah? I don't know. But it's pretty great. And tenor, guys. Ten pounds. Not bad at all. So he built Mario up like that. But the thing is, he did build him, but at the same time, he needed a bit of help, right? So for me, I'd put little tipex, like kind of guidelines on how to put it together, and his mom helped him with the fiddly bits. But at the end of the day, he built Mario, and he loved it. If Judah had just taken all of those pieces and tried to just build a Mario, like he wouldn't have got very far. But when he built from his dad's plans, he made something amazing. God is at work in each of us, and his invitation to us is to build something amazing in our lives with us, partnering with him. We're not building Mario, but we are building in someone's image. You see, sanctification, making someone holy, is also a progression. It's a process. We've been made holy, and we're being made more holy. And what that looks like is our thoughts, feelings, and actions coming into alignment more and more with the holiness of God. It's like we become more like him. We resemble him more clearly, bit by bit, day by day, brick by brick. We're building our lives in Jesus' image, becoming holier. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. You know, in verse 3, in the verses that we read from 1 
Thessalonians. That is a tongue twister. First Thessalonians. Paul says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. And the understanding is that the words be sanctified are more talking about the continual process of becoming holy, that it's ongoing through our lives. And in verse 4, Paul calls each of us to learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. And for me, just reading this section of Scripture, that verse just, I love that that is there. Because for me, that just opens up this whole door of, of grace and a process that actually this is something in, in that wrestle between like, how can I have sin in my life? And then there's holiness. Like, how do I hold these two things in tension? There's grace in this. It's not just that God makes us holy and we never sin again. And that's the end of the story. But the understanding is that we have to learn to control ourselves. Our will is a factor here. And actually, we have to put in effort. The fact that it says your own bodies as well, I think means that it's an individual journey, that we all have different strengths, we have different temptations, we have different challenges. And so broadly walking in holiness, there'll be some things that are similar and there'll be some ways that our journeys differ slightly because we are all different. How we walk it out will look different. I heard Ariana Walker from Mercy UK speaking recently and she put it like this, your breakthrough needs walkthrough. That's really good. Your breakthrough needs walk through. You know, we serve a God who can break through in an instant, right? Like maybe we're struggling with an area of sin and we come forward and someone prays for us and we feel like God has done something significant in us. And sometimes that's it. People have testimonies of like, I used to swear and then someone prayed for me and God just took that away and I have no desire to swear anymore. Or, you know, I used to sleep around and actually they just something switched and like there's not a temptation for me to do that anymore. I see that that's not something I want to do. We love it and we celebrate when that happens, but more often than not, there is a second part to breakthrough. There is walkthrough. We'd love it if it was all breakthrough, wouldn't we? How good would that be? God just clicks his fingers and we're changed in an instant forever. You know, I've heard someone describe that as like a spiritual bypass. It's almost like, change me, Lord, but I don't want to do any of the work. Just, you know, have at it. Transform me, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not putting any effort myself. Paul seems to be saying that in this area of being more holy, of walking away from impure things, there's learning we have to do. Engaging our will. Learn to control your bodies. Be holy and honorable. Reject the things that are impure. There's walk through with the breakthrough. You know, the thing that's been the biggest struggle for me personally in this area of walking away from impure things is porn. I was a teenager when I started watching it, and for years and years, it felt like this secret shame that I carried with me. You know, I was living for Jesus. God was using me, but it felt like this thing that was just lurking in the background, and I hated it. I'd be hit with guilt and shame, and I'd be tearfully confessing to the Lord, and sometimes it would be like a big conference moment where there was like a, res a response to go to the front, and I'd go forward and be like, yeah, I need to deal with this, and someone would say, what do you need prayer for? And I'd be like, lustful thoughts, because it felt too shameful to actually say, I struggle with porn. And I'd get prayer, and I'd think, maybe God's done it. Maybe he's taken this away, but inevitably, days, weeks later, I would go back to it, and I would feel like I was right back at square one. I had an accountability partner in later years, and, but he was the only person who knew. Everyone else was in the dark, and I was maybe watching porn on average once a week, sometimes more, sometimes less, for years. I would talk to this guy, I would confess to the Lord, and that was good, but the reality was I needed more help. 
I was in denial. I kind of thought, give me enough time and I'll figure this out on my own. I'll get free if I just really try. But for years, not much changed. And I remember a few years ago, I was feeling down because I'd watched porn the day before. And Hazel, my wife, could see something was wrong. She just offered to pray for me. And we'd spoken about porn like before we got married, but she didn't know at that point that this was like a live issue. This is something I was struggling with. She wasn't aware of that. And as she was praying for me, I felt the Lord speak really clearly to me and say, tell her what's going on. Tell her what's going on. And I thought, no, <laughs> I'm not going to do that because of the shame that I felt. And I thought, I don't want to hurt her, Lord. I can't do that. I can't say that to her. I'm not doing that. And in that moment, it was amazing. Like in exactly as I was saying that to the Lord, as I was telling the Lord no, which is never a good idea, but as I was telling him no in my head, Hazel just says, I feel like I'm getting this picture of a bell that's ringing. And then as it rings, all these snakes are scattering everywhere. And I think the bell represents truth. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, thank you, Lord. Great. <laughs> I'm going to have to do this. And I did. And we had a really hard, tearful conversation in that moment. But that moment of ringing that bell was the start of me walking into freedom in this area. And I started to take it seriously. I had to hold my hands up and say, I need help with this. I wasn't going to wait for God to just take it all away. Actually, I was going to partner with him and uproot this thing from my life. I started researching different ways to get help. I joined an amazing online course that met once a week for uh, a year, uh, which was incredible. And I learned so much in that about how I was using porn to medicate pain in my life and what tools I needed to walk in the other direction. And after that, I joined an online accountability group that met once a week as well. And, you know, some like that group is amazing. I've become really close friends with those guys. I actually, to this day, have a pretty high level of accountability in my life. I've maybe got three people that I would speak to in a week, and we would just kind of like chat about how we're doing. Um, on my phone, I'm off social media. I don't have internet. Everything's password protected and all that kind of stuff. I don't have access to it. I'm really careful about what I watch and what I put in my head. And I don't know if you're hearing that, and that all sounds a bit extreme. But for me, these were the right steps to take. And I might have some of those things in place for the rest of my life. I don't know. And if I do, that's absolutely fine. I have no problem with that because it is so worth it. Putting this stuff into action means that I'm learning what it means to control myself in this area. And I've never experienced freedom like I've experienced it right now. Like, I feel like I'm living a different life internally to how I was before I started on this recovery journey. And this isn't to paint a picture that, like, look at me, like, shiny pastor I'm all like perfect now and there's no issues because that's not true I still experience temptation I still make mistakes it's not all breakthrough but I'm walking in a level of freedom that I never thought could be possible in this area which is amazing and thank you thanks be to God for that it feels like the inside matches the outside for me and that wasn't the truth for years the Lord has helped me build from his plan his blueprint in this area and I just know it's exciting because there's more building to come. There's more freedom he wants me to step into. And I'm sharing this story this morning, and I'm naming porn very deliberately because I believe that it's an area that for some people today, you feel defeated and stuck in. And the Lord wants to say something to you. He wants to say, no, that is not what I have for you. I've made you holy. I've made you set apart. You are not a slave to sin, and I want to build something better with you in your life than what porn can offer you. 
So if that is anyone in the room, please get prayer. Please talk to someone. Talk to me if you like. You can email me or chat to me. There is greater freedom for us in this area. I'm also aware that for a bunch of people, that is not your area of struggle. But I want to say that the principle is the same. Sin is sin. And no matter where we feel the most tempted, it could be anger, it could be gossip, it could be lack of, you know, trusting in God and holding on to control in our lives. No matter what it looks like in all parts of our lives, we are invited by God to build together with him towards greater holiness. And I think what that means is is dragging the things that we struggle with into the light, sometimes kicking and screaming and putting our hands up and saying, I need help with this thing. I can't do this on my own. It's not about isolating ourselves and just trying harder in the things that we struggle with. It's about being real with our weakness and inviting others into that process. Let us consider how to stir one another towards love, on towards love and good deeds. That's what it says in Hebrews. It doesn't mean we'll be perfect. It's not a straight line with no bumps along the way. And often it's messy, but it is good. And it's what we're called to. What are the areas the Lord is highlighting in your heart? There might be some really obvious ones that are in your head right now. Let's deal with that. Let's build something better. We do it with the Lord and we do it in community as well. Who are the people that you're going to invite on that journey with you to be vulnerable with and ask for their encouragement as you walk through this stuff? Do you need to get help? Do you need to put your hand up and say, I need help? And whatever your area you're struggling with, are there steps you need to take? If we were to commit today to taking action to walk in holiness with the Lord in an area that we struggle with, I just think like, if we chose to do that today, what would that look like in a year's time? If we said, you know what, I'm done with that. I'm actually gonna like take some steps. How different would that be in a year's time? There's a saying that says the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. Do you know what the second best time is? Today, right now. So why not start today? So we've been made to be receivers of holiness and pursuers of it. And I'm just going to do a quick point to wrap up. We've been made holy. We're being made holy. And finally, we will be fully holy. Ruth Graham, who was Billy Graham's wife, she was driving her car one day, going through all these roadworks and diversions. And it was just taking her ages to get to where she needed to go. She eventually gets to the end of it. And she sees a sign that says, end of construction. Thank you for your patience. And she had a total God moment right there and then. She was like, wow, that is an amazing summary of what the Christian life is all about. And she's like, I'm going to have that on my gravestone when I die. And she does. It says, Ruth Graham, end of construction. Thank you for your patience. I love that. That's so good. Do you know the reality is no matter how much of this stuff we get right, no matter how much we submit to the Lord, we're never going to reach the fullness, the fullest sense of what it means to be holy in this life. There will always be some kind of outside influence of sin. But once we die and Jesus returns, our bodies are made like him. We fully bear his image and sanctification being made holy is complete. So even though we'll never be fully sanctified in this life, our aim should always be, I want to increase in this. I want to be more holy. Um, Paul, who is just, you know, the giant of this, this giant of the New Testament who wrote so much of the Bible that we read today, there's a really great encouragement from him. And it's my favorite biblical tongue twister, where he basically says, like, I don't do what I want to do. Instead, I do the things that I wish I would do. And what, what, what am I doing? Should I do it? And he just, lots of do's. It's great. You should read it. Um, but essentially, what he's saying is even 
Paul, even this amazing Christian, this incredible follower of Jesus who we want to emulate in so many ways, even he is like, I struggle, I wrestle, I get it wrong, and there is grace for him. And if there's grace for Paul, there's grace for us. I don't know if you've ever had building work uh, being done in your house. You've had builders in, and you'll know, if you have, you'll know what that desire is for it to be finished. You're like, just come on, can we get to the finish line already? You know, right now, we live in the dust and the mess and the scaffolding of this life. But as we grow in holiness, we see glimpses of who it is that God is making us to be. We see little pieces of his master plan for us. Bit by bit, another room's finished. Walls are being knocked down. An extension is put up. It's not a comfortable process. And God's building a way that sometimes doesn't make sense. It's like, what are you doing in me, God? What's the plan here? C.S. Lewis talks about this process like this. I love this. He says, the explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one that you thought of throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. I just think, Lord, thank you so much that you don't leave us as we are. Lord, your desire is not to leave us in our brokenness, but you want to build something better in me, God, and I thank you for that. That is your heart for every single one of us today. And it just makes me go like, I just want to lean into that. I want to be more like you, Jesus. What is the master architect wanting to do in your life? What does the finished product look like when construction has ended? Thank you for your patience and we're made new in him. We're not going to see it in its fullest sense in this life, but I want to lean into that process. Jesus, here I am. Build what you want here, Lord. Make me like you, Jesus, in every part. I submit to your work. So church, take heart. You have been made holy, you are being made holy, and you will be holy at the end. Amen.